Welcome back to Come Follow Me with Fair Faithful Answers to Your New Testament Questions. My name is Jennifer Roach. Today we are going to talk about Holy Week. It's not Holy Week, I know, but this is what this is what the Come Follow Me readings are this week. So here we are. I'm super excited. Um, as you know, we are going through the Come Follow Me readings and looking at some of the common questions that evangelicals might have about our faith as we go along. Sometimes questions we have about their faith. Um, certainly not trying to start or fuel debate with any of this, just trying to help you understand your evangelical friends or family members a little bit better. Maybe so that you could have a better conversation with each other, less like talking past each other. And you might be able to share some, some of the good things in our faith with them. And it could be a way better conversation. Um, before we get to all of that, I want to remind you, coming up in August, August 2 through 4, is FAIR's annual conference. It will be at the Provo Experience Event Center, which is this, it's just this great venue in Provo. Very, very, it's comfortable. There's a big stage. There's lots of room. People sit at long tables and chairs, and it's a room full of the smartest people that I know. I go every year and just absolutely enjoy it and love it. I think you would too. You can register online to either go in person or watch online. One of the talks I'd like to let you know about um, that will be there this year is Keith Erickson. If you don't know who that is, he is the Director of Historical Research for the Church. Um, he had a really good book come out. I think it was two years ago, might have been three years ago, um, called Real Versus Rumor. And it's a historian's look at how do you, as just an average normal person, tell the difference between like, is this a urban legend that said about our faith? Did, did this really happen? Or is this real actual history? And there's some pretty understandable ways that the average person can start to sluice through some of that. And he does an amazing job in that book of helping ordinary non-historians um, figure out, like, is this real or is this some weird legend? Um, I adore his work. He will be speaking, and I do not know which day yet. I will also be speaking at that conference. I'm looking forward to it. I do not know which day yet, so I'll let you know as soon as we know. Anyway, onward with our work here. Today we are, we're talking about Palm Sunday and Holy Week. And yes, I know it's already passed. You're probably watching this in like late May, maybe later. Um, and Palm Sunday was many weeks ago. I'm bringing it up now because one, it's contained in our Come Follow Me readings this week. And two, it, this got talked about in general conference in a way that I had not heard before, and I think a lot of you had probably not heard before, um, so it's generated quite a bit of conversation, at least stuff I've seen. So our text for this week is Matthew 28.1, which says, and a very great multitude spread their garments in the way, others cut down branches from the trees and straw them in the way, right? So they're laying down their coats, they're laying down the branches, they're waving the branches. This is the, the picture of Palm Sunday. I think the talks in general conference did a 
fantastic job of talking about what Holy Week is and why it's important. So I'm not going to repeat all of that information here. If somehow you missed those talks, go back to the April 2023 General Conference, check them out. What I want to do here is talk about what Holy Week is like for evangelicals, why they're doing what they're doing, um, maybe let you have a better conversation with them with a little bit more understanding. Um, and honestly, this is a conversation where we Latter-day Saints might have our own imaginations kind of expanded a little bit by what the evangelicals are doing. Not to say, absolutely not to say that I think we should do some kind of recreation of what the typical evangelical practice of Holy Week is. I don't think that. Um, but Holy Week has been important to believers for, for more than 2,000 years. And it is interesting that it has come up in a fresh new way in our church, and it might be time for some new imaginations about that. So here we are. Okay. So you already know what a Latter-day Saint Holy Week is like. Maybe Palm Sunday gets a mention. Easter gets special music. Um, Easter, at least in my experience, gets um, pared down from from two hours of church to one, so people can do the things with their families. And, and those are the main differences. So let's talk about what evangelicals do. As with all things evangelical, there's a, there's a really wide spectrum here. Um, one familiar thing you might, <laughs> you might recognize in the evangelical world is Easter and Christmas are just big church days. They are for everybody. Every church and every denomination everywhere, Easter and Christmas are, are big. And so they are absolutely trying to capitalize on that. So I'm going to give you kind of three versions of what evangelical churches do. And it probably encompasses 95% of what is happening in that world. And certainly there, there's some odd things that I'm, that I'm leaving out. But this gives us the bulk of it. I don't actually have very good information for you on what percentage of evangelical churches are falling into each of these groups. I have a sense, but I don't have any research to back that up with. My sense is this first version I'm going to explain to you probably accounts for half. The second version probably accounts for about 30% and the last one would be the minority. Um, so the first version, this is, um, we would call this the, the low church version. If you remember a couple of videos back, we talked about like, what does low church mean? What does high church mean? Um, low church here just basically means there is very little emphasis placed on ritual or ceremony or formalness. Anything you might recognize as like traditional religiousness of this. Um, and and you will see that in the example I'm about to give. The best example I can think of of how to talk about this is the helicopter egg drop. You might have heard about services or, or events like this in the news. Basically, a church will hire a helicopter, probably $500 for the hour. A helicopter goes up, drops anywhere between 3,000 and 20,000 plastic eggs filled with candy and prizes, and the kids go crazy hunting for them. Um, 
often for evangelicals, this will be part of the, the Sunday morning service. This will be like primetime, Easter time thing that they're doing, not just a like a Saturday morning kind of side event, Easter egg hunt. Like this is the big deal for them. It, not all churches that fall into this category are, are doing a helicopter drop. Um, but it kind of symbolizes what they're trying to do. They're trying to draw families into their church. The, the, the idea here is like the kids love it. So the parents love it. And the church hopes that this will translate into the families being interested in getting involved with them. And, and honestly, it, it frequently works. Um, churches wouldn't be doing it if it didn't. Um, for some churches, this actually embodies their entire ministry philosophy uh, of like, put on a great big event, put on your best face and, and try to draw people in with that. It, the churches who are doing this, like I know it sounds silly, but they are perfectly aware that dropping eggs out of a helicopter isn't exactly the essence of how the savior might want to be recognized on Easter Sunday. They're not pretending that this is a religious observation in any way. They aren't confused here. What they're trying to do is to make a really easy, like gentle on-ramp for a family that perhaps is ambivalent or, or not super excited about church. And this gets them enough contact with the church that they might come back. Um, the kids are excited about seeing a helicopter go up and drop 20,000 eggs. And honestly, I I want to see that. That sounds, that sounds fun. Um, does the strategy work and ultimately produce disciples of Jesus Christ? That's a different question. They're, they're playing a really long game here. Um, a lot of churches like this, they'll do a few events like this a year and it seems worth it to them. Um, I will tell you this, there are churches that this is their full-time strategy. Every single Sunday is about impressing people in hopes that they will want to become more involved eventually. They play the long game every single week. Sundays are not at all intended to be worship or discipleship. They're intended to be something that draws a crowd. Um, I, I'll give you an example. It's both dazzling and kind of horrifying. It, even many evangelicals I know would describe it as both of those. So years ago, probably 20 years ago, I worked as a full-time children's pastor at a church in California. They were lovely people, incredible disciples of Jesus Christ. They um, they loved each other. They loved their community. They were amazing people, such a joy to work with. Um, it, it really, really big church. So a lot of children running through our buildings every single week. And, and honestly, the buildings were starting to look run down. Um, so we started having conversations about what should we do about our the buildings, yes, it's in multiple because it was a really big church. Um, what are we going to do? And so one idea was like, well, we just need to refresh some carpet, some paint, and, and and get on with our lives. And what they decided 
with some very, very good motives, was that they wanted to have their buildings look closer to a children's museum than a children's Sunday school building. If you have never had the joy or <laughs> pain of going to a children's museum, the children's museum is an interactive space where kids are allowed to be hands-on and touch everything. It's not a fussy, um, don't touch anything kind of like adult museum. A children's museum is intended to be a completely kid-centered space. So that's what this church decided they wanted to do. And I was the children's pastor. So they sent me on a trip across the country to visit a church many states away that that had done this with their buildings. And my purpose of the trip was to go and get a, a tour of all the these buildings at this other church who had turned their space into basically a kid's museum. Um, and the questions I had were like, this is a lot of money to, to do this. Is it worth it? Like what parts are worth it? What parts are not worth it? Um, what elements of, of what this church I went to visit, what are they doing that we might be inspired by? So they start the tour by showing me the, the check-in desk for school-aged children. Now, this is a common feature in bigger churches. If, if you're attending a bigger evangelical church, chances are the children do not attend the worship service. They're in their own programming the entire time. So families don't sit together in church. Um, and there's usually, there's a check-in desk where the children are, are brought in and out of their area. And so the children are brought to that point. They're checked into their classes. Um, sometimes the in these churches, like the parents are given, given a vibrating pager like you would get at a restaurant in case a kid needs something. Kids go off to their classes. Parents go off to, to theirs and everybody's happy. This church, after the check-in process was complete, the, the volunteer, the worker, would get up from the desk and go to the door the, the wall behind them where there were a bunch of these like round patches, basically. And she would open it up and it reveals a slide. <laughs> and the child is then invited to slide down the slide from the main floor down to the basement where their classroom was. A monitor hung over the portal um, connected to a video camera at the bottom and the parents can see the child arrives at the bottom and there's a worker there to greet them and off they go into their classroom, right? It's this wonderful, um, playful, like I wanted to go down the slides, right? Like they, they're doing their best. They're trying to put their best face forward. And if you want to do that, that's going to get a kid's attention. Therefore, it's going to get a parent's attention. Um, on that tour, they also took me to the, the infant and toddler area, the, the nursery area. In your ward, you might lay out some blankets and some toys, and there's some nice people who sit around and, and play with the, the toddlers. This church had constructed an area where two walls of the room were floor-to-ceiling saltwater aquariums filled with exotic fish. And that was their nursery room, right? Might not get a, a two-year-old's attention. All, well, probably did, but is a two-year-old impressed? I don't know. Parents were absolutely impressed by that. It, it, it went on from there. I'll be honest, the place was impressive. It was exactly a children's museum meets Sunday school. 
And if you were an evangelical parent looking for a place your kid would be excited to go to on Sundays, this is it. But much like the churches that use helicopters to drop thousands of eggs, churches that are doing this really have to work hard to be crystal clear on why they're doing what they're doing and to get people to the actual goal of becoming disciples of Jesus Christ and not just focus on the trip up the gentle on-ramp. Um, the, the temptation here is that being an impressive church, it can be really fun. Um, and that can become the focus more than Jesus Christ. When I was an evangelical, I absolutely fell into that trap and for a long time. And it's an easy one to fall into and it's a hard one to find your way out of. Um, so yeah, they're doing like either big splashy events a few times a year or they're doing that all year long. Hopefully they're actually meeting their goal of getting people to know Jesus Christ. Okay, back to Holy Week, version two. The next version of what evangelicals do for Holy Week, it's a step up from, from helicopters dropping eggs and, and, and that's it. You might recognize that it's looking like more of a religious observation. And this sort of middle version two, it, it, it's kind of a bare bones version compared to what you'll see in version three. It, it looks like this, one Palm Sunday, the congregation members are given palm branches when they arrive um, for the service that Sunday. Usually churches order them through the mail, although if you live in the right place, you can just go cut them down. Um, at some point during the service, one of the leaders will talk about um, the meaning of Palm Sunday and they'll talk the congregation through waving the palms in the air. Um, there's probably like upbeat music. Um, when the palm waving is over, many children and parents know how, from years of sort of passed down knowledge, um, they can weave those palm branches into some really intricate little things, some crosses and dolls. And the people, you know, the children sort of sit and, and work on the palm branches during the rest of the service. Um, it, that service is mostly going to be very up. A small minority of churches will end the service talking about that while Jesus received a warm welcome on Palm Sunday, things are about to turn against him. And by Friday, things are really sad. Um, but for the most part, evangelicals are going to let that mood remain pretty festive. For them, the next event of Holy Week might be if they're on the upper end of this, it might be something called Monday Thursday, or it might be Good Friday. Monday Thursday, traditionally, it's a feet washing service. And in the past, it, it it's more likely that everyone in the congregation would have had their feet washed, presumably by the pastors or the leaders of these of the church. These days, it's far more likely to be a symbolic event that maybe a handful of people in the church experience kind of on behalf of the rest of the congregation. And the idea here is that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. We are to remember how he humbled himself. He's the servant of all. Um, it, churches that do this, it's generally a somber service. It's not, there's no helicopters dropping eggs here. 
Um, it's mostly going to be attended by adults, maybe older children. Same is true with Good Friday, very somber service. Um, congregants are going to be asked to remember the crucifixion. It's probably going to be pretty emotional, music. They're going to lower the lights. There's some scripture readings. Probably not tons of bells and whistles, although that's going to you know, vary here and there. And then they have Sunday morning Easter, um, and that will either be a ramped up version of their normal service, kind of like we do special music and whatnot, um, or perhaps sometimes evangelical churches will do a sunrise service. Sometimes they'll do a combination of both of those. People are much more likely to dress up for church. Evangelicals normally do, do not dress up for church. In fact, that's pretty actively discouraged. Um, it, but if they're going to dress up, it's probably going to be on Easter, though there is no expectation for them to do so. Um, and this is this is a pretty, in terms of the spectrum of religiosity, this is a pretty middle of the road one. I do want to tell you about the, the version three of this, not because it's the majority of what evangelicals are doing, but because I think you're going to find it really unexpectedly interesting compared to what we're doing. So version three would be an evangelical church that goes all out. They will do all the things that we just mentioned, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Palm Sunday, um, but, but they also do more. The difference you would notice on Palm Sunday is at the end of the service, people don't take those palm branches home. Those are collected. They're, the church takes them back. And at first it seems weird. You're like, why can't people take the, the palm branches home? Um, but here's why they're doing it. They're gonna lay those out, probably in the sun, until they're completely dry. Depending upon where you live, this can take a while. They're gonna burn those palm branches. So this might happen like even a month after, after Palm Sunday, maybe even longer, depending upon where you live. The ashes from those palms are going to be what is used next year on Ash Wednesday. Right? So it's sort of this interesting symbolism of like, here we are, like, yay, Jesus. And then we go through Easter and then we sort of like start the, cy the cycle all over again. Um, Ash Wednesday is the beginning of the season leading up to Easter. It's called Lent. Lent is 40 days minus Sundays. So if you take Easter, count backwards 40 days, but don't count Sundays, you'll get to Ash Wednesday. Um, the point of Lent is to get your heart ready to celebrate the resurrection. Um, many evangelicals cele celebrate Lent now. That has not always been true. That's really changed over the last 20 years. It used to just be a Catholic thing. But now you find all kinds of evangelicals that are at least aware of it. They often give up things like sugar, um, coffee. <laughs> they give up some things that we give up all the time. Um, the idea there is to help them stay in a more disciplined state of mind so that they can focus on preparing for Easter. Um, on Ash Wednesday, they go to a special service. Um, those same ashes made from the palms or smeared on their forehead in the shape of a cross. Um, and, and that's a really meaningful service to the, the people who celebrate it. Um, 
in in this sort of version three after Palm Sunday, they would celebrate Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday in a very similar fashion. Here's the bit that you might not know about, and I think you will find really interesting. They have a service called Easter Vigil. Usually takes place on Saturday night. Traditionally, Easter Vigil would be timed so that it ended at midnight. So that the very first second that it's Sunday, the very first possible second, you could even call it Easter. Easter Vigil has ended and Easter celebration begins. I don't, most churches aren't doing that anymore, just logistically, that's really hard, especially when you want people to get back up and come to church at, you know, a couple hours later. So a lot of them are doing an Easter Vigil service Saturday afternoon or Saturday evening. Sometimes it's a, it's a very simple service. It's, it's scripture readings and, and, and the congregation listening and, and participating a little bit. Sometimes it's an incredibly grand production with actors and costumes and lights and music. Either way, here's the point of it. The service tells the history of humanity beginning in the Garden of Eden. It tells about Adam and Eve and why and how they have to leave the garden. Tells the history of God's people down to Moses and from Moses to Jesus Christ. There's some set scriptures that they read all along the way. Um, the point of all of this is for them to tell the history of salvation leading up to the resurrection or what that service would call the, the doorway into eternity. And the highlight of the service is at the end, the congregation is sort of symbolically placed in the celestial realm, um, placed in heaven, celebrating God's love. I imagine that every adult Latter-day Saint is making connections here to what we do in our temple worship. And it is very similar in some ways. Some of it is very, 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 very different. Um, we have a far more developed theology around what all of that means and what it's doing and the efficaciousness of it, whereas evangelicals would see it as, we're here listening to the story of God's people. Isn't this great? And it'd be fun music. Um, but what is happening there is not completely dissimilar. It might be interesting to learn that at least some evangelicals are doing this once a year. Um, it doesn't mean the same thing to them that it means to us. And many of us are doing, I mean, you're doing this all the time, right? Maybe you go to the temple once a month or more. Um, and evangelicals, at least some of them, have a, a little bit of a hunger for this kind of service and kind of rhythm. The Many of the same raw materials are there. Let me just say, just put it that way. Um, and it could be very, very interesting for you to ask your evangelical friends or family, especially if they're in this sort of later group that celebrates quite a bit more. But, but even if they're in any of the groups, asking them like what Holy Week means to them and what are they trying to accomplish? And I bet you would find some fascinating um, things to talk about there. As for us, I don't know where our traditions around Holy Week will go in the future. We have some great talks um, on it at General Conference. We'll we'll see what things develop into in the years to come. I think it's exciting. 
Um, I loved Holy Week as an evangelical, and I love it now. It, it's fun to think how this might get played out for us someday. Okay, we went long today. Join us next time. We will continue on with another topic. If you have any particular questions you would like to be sure that I address, you can email me, jbroach at fairlatterdaysaints.org. I'd love to hear from you. We'd be happy to try and work your questions into a future episode. And I will see you next time.